Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Are you thankful for the Lord and Savior that you serve with all your heart? Has anyone treated you like Jesus has? Oh, that was three or four of us. Has anyone treated you like Jesus has? Oh, absolutely not. He's too good to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I tell you what, we're going to make our confession today. Grab your Bible if you're visiting us with us today. We say this every time we gather on Sunday mornings because we truly believe it. How many truly believe it? Amen? That the Word of God can change your life. Amen? Let's make our confession. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind's alert. My heart's receptive. I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, ever-living seed, the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, shout amen. Hallelujah. Well, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. We're going to read a couple verses there. As you're turning there, I want you to say this. Say, it only takes one generation. Yeah, say that one more time. Say, it only takes one generation. Amen. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 is where we're going to begin. This passage of Scripture, specifically verse 10, is a hallmark verse of my life. The Lord, just in daily Bible reading, not doing anything special, just reading my Bible. Uh, this is what hit my heart about five, six years ago. Um, and it's, um, you know, I do a little, uh, uh, do a podcast called Faith for My Generation. The title of that podcast is based on this verse. Uh, it's the reason why I've produced 180 episodes over the past two years. Um, the mission and vision for that podcast is to shake and shape a generation with the Word of God. Uh, it's simply me being able to do more of what I'm called to do. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of this church. I love you. I love being a pastor planted in this church. I'm thankful for my pastor. I'm thankful for this house. And so, you know, uh, I just had an opportunity to keep teaching the Word of God even when I'm not here on Sunday morning. And, and so I did that, and that's, that's where we're at. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 has become a hallmark verse. I was talking to my father a few days ago, or I guess it was a week or two ago, and uh, because I was sitting in service, it was the last session he taught, the power of words, session number seven, part number seven. And I was sitting there, you know, minding my own business, but that's what the beautiful thing about being in church and being faithful and being consistent does for you. And I'm just, anybody ever had this happen? You're just minding your own business, you're in service, you're reading your word, you're praying, and all of a sudden, bam! The Spirit of the Lord hits you and something just explodes like fireworks on the inside of your chest, right? Well, that happened. And he mentioned about Brother Hagen how Mark 11, 23 and 24 was the hallmark verse of his life. And then I began to think about my father. The hallmark verse of his life is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And I realized, you know what, there's wonderful things about the consuming large amounts of the Word of God, right? We're on a journey reading through our Bible this year. And make it a habit to do that. All it takes is three chapters a day to keep the devil away. Amen. And that'll get you through the Bible in one year. But that's a good thing to consume a lot. But also when it comes right down to it, all you need is one word from God. Because at the point that one word from God comes alive in your spirit, faith's activated. And that's when things change. And this verse, particular verse that we're going to read here in a second, that happened to me several years ago, and that's my mandate. This is my mandate. This is my mission. This is why I was knit together in my mother's womb. This is why I'm on the planet. 
is to shake a generation. I don't say that proudfully. I don't say that boastfully. I say that because it's our mission. It's our mandate. It's your mission. It's your mandate. You have a responsibility to shake up the people around you. You have within you the power of the Holy Ghost to be a witness to this generation, to those around you, those in your family, those that you work with, those that you go to church with, those that you live beside, the people you encounter, you have a responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ and to them so that they might inherit the kingdom of God and they be in heaven too. How many desires to bring a whole lot of people to heaven with you in Jesus' name? Judges chapter 2 verse 7 So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was a hundred and ten years old. Verse 9, And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Tamath Herez in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaesh. Verse 10, here it is. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which He had done for Israel. Now, at first glance, you think, wow, that's your hallmark verse, AJ? That's kind of depressing. But what I see here is it only takes one generation, good or bad, to make a change. It only takes one generation to make a change, good or bad. It just takes one person sticking their heels in the dirt and saying, my family's going to change. It just takes one generation to say, This city is going to be the Lord's, and I ain't moving. I ain't budging, and I'm going to see this city turned upside down by the power of God. It only takes one church family to say, this church is going to be a glorious church taking authority and dominion in the county for the glory of God, and I don't care what any devil has to say about it. It just takes one generation on the opposite to tear things down to destroy things. What we see here, what's taking place is Joshua, who was the successor of Moses, he leads his people into their promised land. They fight many battles. They take out many giants. Some people say, you actually believe in giants? I absolutely do, yeah. When the daughters of men married the sons of God, there were giants on the earth. If you think that's strange, join me through reading the Bible. You'll find a lot more strange things than giants. And so Joshua, by the sword of the Lord, he takes out a lot of giants with the people of Israel, and they establish Israel in the promised land. Why do they even have a promised land? Because one man named Abraham believed God. It took one generation to get a promised land. Abraham, he believed God. And so Joshua, he leads the people of Israel into this inheritance. And then what you see takes place is this generation of believers of Joshua and his peers, well, really I say his peers, we'll see that in just a minute, but Joshua and those that believed the Lord, saw the works of the Lord, that believed God, they established their nation and brought an inheritance to their people, but when they died, what died with them, their faith also went with them. When they died, it wasn't just them naturally dying, what they believed, what they knew, what they had experienced died with them. Dr. Miles Monroe who's inherited glory. He, was, he pastored Bahama International Church. How, man, wouldn't you just love a call of God to pastor in the Bahamas? I mean, you know, some people got it easy, right? It's like, I've been called to be a missionary evangelist to Hawaii. You know, it's like, man, you just got it made. But there's every place needs the gospel, amen, whether it's got beautiful beaches or not. But he's pastoring in the Bahamas, and he said this. He said, the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard. Because so many dreams desires die there in the graveyard. So many people take books that were never written to them with them to the grave. Businesses that are never started are taken to the grave with them. 
so much potential that's been invested in God's pinnacle creation, mankind, if they don't connect and labor with God, you'll never come to the fullness of what God desires for you in your life that will actually not just bless you, but shake your generation. Don't take everything that God's given you with you to the grave. Expend all that you are. Just, just, just give everything you've got. You come to that place and say, Lord, can I do just a little bit more? No, don't, don't have the mindset, well, I already do too much. No, Lord, is there, can I do just a little bit more for you? Can I pray just a little bit longer? Can I serve just a little bit more faithfully? Is there just one more person I can bring into the kingdom? Can I, can I get a little bit more of your word? Don't see how little you can do. See how much you can persevere in the things of God so that when you stand before the Lord, you will hear what you desire to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. How many want to hear that when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. See, it only takes one generation. And all a generation is is just one person. It's just one person. It's just one person. Think about this. Noah was surrounded by many people that were not living for the Lord. Really, it was just Noah and his family. And you might even say his children got on the ark for Noah's righteousness sake. But here's Noah. What is he? Second Peter tells us he's a preacher of righteousness when it wasn't popular to be righteous. Look, you might think, well, this is rough where we're living nowadays. Imagine being the, one of the eight people serving God on the planet. You know, it makes you think, well, maybe I shouldn't bellyache too much, right? Well, the whole world, no, 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 no. There's like, what, uh, 500 million spirit-filled Christians on the planet? There's like 2 billion confessing Christians? Like, imagine being one of eight. Joshua and Caleb, as I mentioned, they're the two of the 12 spies that actually believed God. The Bible tells us in Numbers 14 they had a different spirit. Someone say a different spirit. They had a different spirit. They didn't need a majority. They just had the spirit of God. You know, that's an illusion. It's an illusion to think that you need a majority for things to change. It's an illusion. What you need is faith in God. Show me in the Bible where God said, I want to do something great in your family, in your city, your nation, but you need 51% of the people all on the same page. It's a lie. The devil's greatest fear is one believer completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the person that's hid in Christ can't be stopped by some dumb, defeated devil. He's a chump. Better not talk about the devil like that. He's under my feet. Because I've been attached to the body of Christ. Now look, we're, part, we're the members and bodies of the Christ. Amen? I may be the pinky toe that gets stubbed. I don't know. I'm not saying I'm a big member part, but I'm still in the body, and that means he's under me because I'm in Christ. How many is in Christ? If you are, say amen. Hallelujah. Gideon. Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. Tells him, go tear down your father's idols. Tear down your daddy's idols in the backyard. Now, Gideon says, okay, Lord, he obeys. He does it at night when no one's watching. But he still did it, amen? He still did it. Luke called me. We were talking about some scripture earlier this week about the two sons, two different sons. It's a parable. Father says, go out and work. Go out and work. One son says, yes, Father, I'll do it. And he goes fishing all day instead of working. The other son said, I ain't doing it. I, ain't, I don't want to work. And then he said, well, I guess I should. And he goes and works. And the one that did the will of the Father was the good son. Amen? And they both had a little bit to work on. But Gideon, he, at least he obeyed. He may have did it in the twilight hours while everyone's snoozing. But when they woke up, Baal and Astaroth and all these other demon gods and idols, they had been cut down, chopped down. And then all the people get upset. We're going to kill Gideon. He cut down our gods. And then his father came to his realization and think, wait a minute. If you can cut down your God with an axe, he might not be a God you want to serve. If you can form and fashion your own God, that means your God's smaller than you. <laughs> David took a stand. I love that story of David. He goes to the battle, and he start, he, he's just bringing bread and cheese. They're going to make grilled cheese sandwiches for everybody. 
while they're out there looking at the Philistines. And David's looking around, and he hears Goliath, and he says, Oh, what's this big old guy talking about? This uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God. Now, David's the youngest of eight brothers. And his oldest brother says, David, I know you. You just came out here to see the battle. Ain't no battle going on. They hiding behind the rocks. They, they ain't nobody fighting nobody. They're waiting on grilled cheese sandwiches when, when David shows up. They ain't fighting nobody. David decides to do what a nation wouldn't, take a stand for the Lord. And he ran toward Goliath. Nehemiah, what about Nehemiah? He's serving Cyrus the king, or Darius one another. can't remember exactly. There's a lot that takes place between Darius and Cyrus. A lot of these different people, Ezra and Nehemiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all in that time frame. Nehemiah, he begins to weep for his city, Jerusalem, because he hears about the walls of Jerusalem have fallen. The temple's destroyed. It's like the prophet Jeremiah. You know, it's one thing to cry and weep for yourself, but it's a very holy thing to cry and weep for your nation, for your people, for your family. Now, don't just stay there crying and weeping. We've, we've been given the privilege to co-labor with God, and so we take the Word of God before His remembrance, according to the book of Isaiah, petition changed, as we're going to talk about over the next few minutes this morning, to see something shake up our families, our cities, our nation. But notice that you, when you get to a place with God where you care about what God cares about, God empowers you. Walking in power with God is as simple as walking with God. It's that simple. When you care about what the Lord cares about, He cares for everything that you care for. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You can't, you cannot, I'm too far gone. You can't tell me that I can work too much for the Lord because as, as I'm, I'm about the Father's business, He is about my business. Following Jesus and being a part of what He desires, which is to build His church in the earth, the thing that the gates of hell can't prevail against. The gates of hell can prevail against everything on the planet but one entity, and it's called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan can control anything he wants to do in the earth through wicked men, through deception, through fear, through ignorance, except one thing, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It marches on. And so Nehemiah, he's weeping, but he went and built walls. He rebuilt walls in 52 days. I like Nehemiah. He came in ahead of schedule and under budget. I mean, I imagine some government officials that, no offense to government officials, but I imagine, uh, I guess it probably actually is offense. I was just saying that to not make offense, but it actually is offensive if you are this type of government official. But why is it that some government projects take, we're going to take two years to do this, but you can hire a man in the marketplace to do it in three months. It's interesting, isn't it? Nehemiah came in and in 52 days rebuilt walls. 52 days rebuilt walls. Ezra. He came and he taught the law to people. He brought back the word of God which produced a revival in his nation that brought people back to the Lord when no one's serving the Lord. John the Baptist, prepare ye the way of the Lord. It hadn't been for 400 years God hadn't spoken to Israel. Malachi speaks, delivers the message of the Lord, and for 400 years there's no prophecy. There's no word from the Lord. And then a voice comes out of the wilderness. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It didn't take a majority. It didn't take everybody. Let's rally everybody up. Let's have a bunch of prayer breakfasts. Let's run social media campaigns. Let, let's run a TikTok live. I do TikTok streaming, all that stuff. I mean, I do all that. I commit I, I, all the digital space. But it had nothing to do with things or technology or machinery or coalitions or titles. My God, it didn't need a title. They didn't need a name badge with Dr. So-and-so, Pastor So-and-so, Reverend So-and-so. It just took one person that said, Lord, I want what you want and I'll obey you to the nth degree. And change took place. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, 
another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. There's two components there. They didn't have a personal relationship with God, nor they had no knowledge of what God had done. Both are necessary to be sold out to the Lord. You need both. You've got to have your own personal relationship with the Lord. You've got to have it. You've got to have a connection with God. You've got to be in a place where you have confidence in your relationship with the Lord. But you also have to have a knowledge of what God has done. And they had neither. The NET says this, that entire generation passed away, a new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. God's word translation. So another generation grew up after them. They had no personal experience with the Lord or with what he had done for Israel. So you have a responsibility to your family, to your children, to your parents, to your, to your extended family. You have a responsibility to this church. You have a responsibility to your neighbors, where you live. You have a responsibility to anyone the Lord gives you contact and an opportunity to speak to. We have a responsibility to this city. We have a responsibility to our nation. Turn with me to Psalm 7118. Psalm 7118. Psalm 71:18 This is the prayer in this psalm. Psalm 71:18 And I start with 17. Verse 17. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. There's a responsibility as a believer that you and I have to declare the work and the knowledge of God to all people that we come in contact with any way we can. The only witness that Christ has on the earth is you. We say, well, he's got the Bible. Yes, but someone's got to read it. Someone's got to preach it. Someone's got to share it. Romans chapter 10 says, how will they hear unless there's a preacher? How will there be a preacher unless he's sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that go and proclaim the good news of Christ? You might think, well, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. The word preacher simply means someone who proclaims. All you got to do is be able to speak. And I know some of y'all are real good at speaking. Because when we leave today, you won't stop speaking. And I'm glad. That's all you got. You only got. All you need is love for Christ and love for people the way Christ loves them. And that's a prayer I pray. And it's, it's not natural. But we're not living a natural life. Following Jesus isn't normal. It requires supernatural power, supernatural love. You have to be in a place where you love people like Christ loves them, which means you actually will put others above yourself because that's what Christ did. Well, that's a high cost to pay. You know, may we never become the type of Christian May, oh God, may we never become the type of Christian that begins to rehearse what we are doing for the Lord as if the Lord can't go on without us. You know, it's like some folks, they say, well, I do all this for the Lord. I do that for now. I was like, wow, but the Lord Jesus Christ is just so happy he's got you on the team. He's been waiting for you and your existence of 100 years. Now, at the same time, last week I said the Lord has need of you, and he does have need of you. But I'm not the only knife in the drawer. And you've got some knives that cut tomatoes real good and some that cut cheese and bread. I ain't figured out which one's which. I just grab whichever one's the closest and then you find out whether it works or not, whether it's sharpened or not. But the Lord does have need of you. But it's not to the point to where I don't have need of Him and where I get myself lifted up. Because here's the thing. The Lord's taught you. And what you have learned from God, you have a responsibility to tell someone else. You're in Psalm 71. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Now then we are ambassadors. Someone say ambassador. 
ambassadors for Christ as through God, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That verse is sandwiched in between verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Somebody say amen if you've experienced that. You've become new. Verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Glory. In between those two Christ realities is verse 20. You stand in between God and your family, God and your city, God and your coworkers, God and this nation, God and this generation, and you're speaking on God's behalf. Now you realize why Isaiah said, My Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips from a nation of unclean lips. And what does the Lord do? Touches his mouth with the coal from the altar of God. He sanctifies him. He purifies him. He said, Look, the uncleanliness, I'll clean you up. Now get to talking. Go for us. Because you stand as if God himself were speaking to that person. What a privilege. What a privilege to work for Jesus. What a privilege to carry the message of salvation to somebody you love. What a joy. What a privilege and a joy to be the person that sheds the light of the gospel into someone's life that they get reborn, born again, born of the Spirit, and their names written into the Lamb's book of life. That's what I'm living for. Well, you're a pastor. I was living before before I became full-time ministry two years ago. (laughs) I've been working for the Lord so many years, and I'm glad to continue to work for the Lord. Who else has been working for the Lord so many years and is glad to continue doing it? In Jesus' name. You have a privilege, a privilege to stand before people. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verse 27. This is what burns in my belly. This is what we call revival. This is what we call reformation. This is what a spiritual awakening looks like. It's people of God getting so interested and so consumed with God and His goodness and the expanse of His kingdom on the earth that we just say, we got to go win somebody. I got to invite somebody to church. I got to tell someone about Jesus. I got to spend just a little bit more time in prayer for this person or that person that I might see salvation come to them in their household. Colossians 1, verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is, which is Christ in you. Someone say, Christ is in me. Now that you know what you're going to say, say it one more time. Say, Christ is in me. The hope of glory. The hope of glory resides in you. The Lord of lords and King of kings, His Spirit resides in you when you confess Him as Lord. The temple which was in the Old Covenant, a place in Jerusalem, has now been brought into people. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 both tell us that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's why it matters what you say, how you live, how you act. How you carry yourself. Because it's not just AJ acting, walking, talking, looking, doing. It's the temple of God. It's not just you on the job place. It's not just you around your family. It's not just you at Walmart when, you know, you chew out that cash register. That's a good, actually, I was going to say the person working at the cash register. But most time it's the cash register self-checkout you're chewing out, right? It's the temple of God. It's the place where the Spirit of God dwells. Right? Why, why, is, why are what we're doing right now special? One, because God commanded it in Hebrews 10. Another reason, because a whole lot of temples just came together that have the Spirit of God in them, and we just all came together in one place. Verse 28, right after it. So you've got this hope of the glory in you, so what do we do with it? Verse 28, Him, Jesus, we preach, proclaim, tell somebody, Warning every man. There are some people that need to be warned. Thank God someone warned me. 
You know, I'm real thankful that there's signs that say, you know, no right-hand shoulder for the next three miles. Not only am I thankful for it, you know, Greg and Raheem and other guys that are working out there, they're thankful for it when I move over into the left lane if they're running tractors down the right-hand side. Right? It's a warning. Thank God I was warned. Thank God that there's a warning in Christ that says, don't keep going the way you're going. It leads to destruction. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Feelings should be hurt if they're not in the will of God. I love you too much to let your feelings take you to hell. I thought Jesus was so loving. He is so much that he would take our sins on himself and die our death on our cross so that you wouldn't have to be bound up by that destructive force that would eventually lead to the second death. Thank God for warning. Know this, him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Thank God that there's knowledge in the word of God that will not just save you, it will cause you to abound in life. Thank God the word of God can teach me how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a son. The Word of God will teach you how to live a life that's not just holy unto the Lord, but profitable. The Bible says that godliness is profitable in all things. All things. And notice this, in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature, complete in Christ Jesus. It only takes one generation. It only takes you. And you and I have a responsibility to this generation. Let me read this to you. I want you to see this. Uh, before we get there, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. Uh, I want to take you to John chapter 1, but in preface to John 1, I, I want to share just real quickly. Four different kings. When you're reading through your Bible, and you hit First and Second Kings, and then you read First and Second Chronicles, you might think, wait a minute, I'm, I'm reading a lot of the same stuff here. Well, it's because First and Second Kings is the civil government history of Israel and Judah. And First and Second Chronicles is the spiritual history of basically five revivals that took place in Israel and Judah. So it's dealing with the exact same people, but one, First and Second Kings, is dealing with what the kings did. It's very uh, point blank. It has to do with what they built, what they destroyed, what they started, what they ended in their kingdoms. And then First and Second Chronicles is the spiritual side of it. So that's why when you're reading through those, it's fun to actually get a chronological reading plan and jump between those books. That way you get both sides of it at one time. But when you're reading through your Bible in that section of the Bible, you hit 2 Kings 15, 34. You don't have to turn there. Let, let me read it to you. It says this, concerning Jotham. Jotham. It says this, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Now Uzziah was a man that served the Lord for many years until he decided he could do what he was not called to do. He was called to be king, but he decided to be priest, and that caused him a lot of trouble. It's a whole different message in its own. I won't get detoured by that. But his son, Jotham, did everything that was right in the sight of the Lord. Jotham was a good king. Jotham has a son named Ahaz. Ahaz... 2 Kings 16.2 says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God as his father David had done. So Jotham, a good king, has a son, Ahaz, a bad king. Well, you keep reading, Ahaz has a son named Hezekiah. 2 Kings 18.3 says this, Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Verse 5 says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. How would you like to have the Bible say that about you? Oh, there was no one else like him. Oh, sh there was no one else like her. Before or after, she loved me well. He loved me with all his heart. Oh, one of a kind. One of a kind. Now notice, Jotham, good king. Ahaz, bad king. Hezekiah, Good king, but in his latter years, goes evil. In his last days, pride gets the best of him. And this uh, convoy from Babylon come, and he's like, hey, you guys want to see all my riches? They're not Hezekiah's riches. 
They're his, but the Lord gave them to him. He says, you want to see my wealth? And he shows a neighboring empire all his stuff. It's like, you know, when Jim, that calls you up about your extended car warranty, who actually isn't Jim, and he's from Pakistan. I love Pakistanis. Unless it's Jim calling me and lying to me about my extended car warranty because I ain't never bought a car in a warranty. And then you give him, you say, well, Jim, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but here's my social security number, my bank routing number, and my credit card number. Just do what you need to do, Jim. Guess what? Jim's going to be going wherever he wants. He's going to go to the Bahamas and be a minister in the Bahamas on your money. Hezekiah did that. And then the word of the Lord by Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, why would you do that? And he said, destruction is going to come to Israel because you basically enticed this empire that's being set up to bring judgment for the sins of Israel or sins of Judah. But you set it up. And this is what Hezekiah says. Well, as long as it's not my day, that's okay. It's like those fathers in Lamentations that pastor was reading about. Nah, you know what? As long as the judgment doesn't come on me, comes on my children, nah, no big deal. I'll be gone. How wicked. How wicked. How wicked. But Hezekiah did that. He started off real good but ended badly. Hezekiah has a son named Manasseh. Manasseh has one of the longest rules and reigns over Judah. And he's also one of the most, he's the absolute most wicked king they had. He did abominable things before the Lord. Yet in his last days, when the Lord brings judgment against him, he repents. He started off evil and he ended good. Now, why did I tell you about those four kings? One was good. He had a son and his son was evil. The evil son had a son and he started off good and he ended evil. The one who ended evil had a son who started off evil and he ended well. What I'm trying to tell you is your faith, the change that God desires in this earth and in you, it's a personal decision. Faith is taught, but it's not inherited. Faith is taught, but it's not inherited. At the end of the day, it can't be grandma's faith. It can't be daddy's faith. It's got to be your faith in Christ. It can't be your wife's faith or your husband's faith. Well, we go for the kids. It can't be for the kids. It's got to be you. Because if it's not in the heart of you, it ain't there at all. Now, notice this. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells you this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. He gave the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What a birth to be born of God. What a miraculous birth to be born of God. Friday night, Laura and I had one of the best date nights ever. We spent it in an OB triage at Greenville Memorial watching uh, contractions take place on a monitor. You had a lot of fun, right, Laura? It wasn't too fun. She was hoping it was the big show, but it wasn't. She remembered, actually, that we hadn't cut the grass yet, so she came home so she could cut the grass and we'd eat Saturday while I rested and took a nap. Someone someone started to pull out their concealed weapon to shoot me. I'm kidding. I'm not going to make her do that. She's actually asked to ride on the lawnmower. I said, one, I'm not going to let you ride on the lawnmower. Two, do you think I'm actually going to let you ride the lawnmower at 37 weeks? Because everybody I know and their brother will drive by while you're bouncing around on the lawnmower 37 weeks and see me doing, you know, sitting on the rocking chair. At the moment you're going to come by my house, it's going to be when she's on the lawnmower at 37 weeks pregnant. What a birth to be born again of spirit. And it's a personal thing. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. You may have heard that said before. I didn't come up with it, but it's that simple. It's a personal relationship. It's it's a desire that has to be born in your heart. Last place before we finish up with prayer today, and we're going to pray for a few minutes today, because if all I do is give you information, I've not done my job. But what I want is something truly to be seated in your heart that makes you live different from this point forward. Turn with me to Psalms 24. See, it only takes one generation. What is this generation that the Lord's looking for? He's looking for a seeking generation. Psalm 24. This psalm is actually describing the millennial reign of Christ. 
and the people that will inhabit the earth and, and produce generations on the earth during that millennial reign of Christ. But what we can pick up from verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 is the type of people that the Lord desires in His kingdom. During the millennial reign of Christ, when all those that are on the earth, they will submit to Him wholeheartedly. This is the characteristics of what the Lord desires. Psalms 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? Now, we could say that. We could, we could say, well, spiritually, there's some prerequisites to get in the presence of God. Absolutely. But literally, in that millennial reign of Christ, when nations will go to worship the King of glory in Jerusalem, and if they don't, reigns withheld from their nations. In that day and age, they, they must go and worship. They have to have this literally. But you and I literally have to have this so that we can spiritually worship the Lord. Verse 4, he who has clean hands... He who has clean hands. You and I are to become blameless and harmless, Philippians 2.15 tells us, children of God without fault. The only way that happens is by the blood of Christ and faith in the blood, and then by His power living a holy life. I'm here to tell you, I get it, it's 2023, but I'm here to tell you that the Spirit of the Lord will empower you to live holy, whether any backslidden preacher tells you you can or not. You can actually live holy unto God. And we do it every day in Jesus' name. Because if Jesus can't save you from the dominion of sin, who can? What's the purpose of being forgiven if you're not free from it? Just to continue in it. But Romans 6 tells us that we've been given dominion over sin. You've got to have clean hands. It matters what you and I do. Notice that. The generation the Lord's looking for, clean hands. It's interesting. I remember sharing this passage, gosh, nine, ten years ago at, a, at an event, and a gentleman that I, I loved and cared, he came up and he kind of mockingly said, oh, I guess I don't have clean hands. And, and he was a man that worked with his hands, and he was kind of making a joke about it. But something hit my spirit hard. And, and I realized, ah, and I said, well, of course you know that I isn't talking about grease or, or working with paint and working with your hands and carpentry work, which what he did, wood glue and stuff. So it has to do with your heart. Ah, yeah, I guess, I guess. Unfortunately, what he was making mocking fun of is it, it, destruction came in his life because of how he was living in the area of his marriage. He who has clean hands, you've got to be pure. You've got to walk clean before the Lord knows this. And a pure heart. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said to you, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many want to see God? Notice it didn't say, Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God when they die and go to heaven. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to see the Lord. It's up to you. It's up to you. The Lord's ready to be seen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Notice this. Verse 4. You're in Psalm 24.4. I'm giving you some New Testament examples. That way, lest anyone might say, none of y'all would do this. Well, that's all the Old Testament. As if God's word's different anyways. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol. Don't create anything in your life that takes the place of God. Look, you can have all the fun in your world as long as it's holy and righteous, and there's a lot to be had that's holy and righteous. You can have desires as long as they're sanctified unto the Lord. You can do a lot of great things, wonderful things, have a good time. But when it's all said and done, there should be one person on the throne of your heart, and his name is Jesus. Nothing else should take its place. Not work, not jobs, not family members, not husbands or wives, not children, not political parties, not social endeavors. If there's only one place for someone to sit in the throne of your heart, it better be Jesus. Don't lift up any other idol before Him. Notice this, nor sworn deceitfully. you got to love truth. You've got to love truth that you're so committed to truth that you speak truth. You speak it in love, but part of speaking the truth in love is actually saying the truth. Amen? Well, we need to speak the truth in love, brother. But for whatever reason, they don't ever share the truth. Well, I'm afraid of what they might say. That's not very loving. You know what? I've yet to find a time when Naomi enjoys being corrected. And let's be honest, I'm 33, I guess... For about 10 years, maybe even more of my... Well, I, don't, I still to this day don't like being corrected. No one likes to be corrected. 
The flesh don't, but the spirit of man should. The Bible tells us that, that correction is wonderful, it's good. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that a sign of being a son of the Lord is that he'll correct you when you're wrong. You got to love the truth because you can't worship God unless you do it in truth. You can't worship worship God unless you do it in truth and in spirit. And so what I want to put in your heart, Miss Haley, if you would come to the piano and just minister on the piano to us. What I want you to make a decision, not that you haven't. And I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I'm not saying, uh, trying to beat somebody up. What What I'm saying is, isn't there just a little bit further you can go with Jesus? Isn't there just a little bit more you can do for the Lord? Isn't there just one more person that you can love the way Christ loves them? Isn't there just a little bit more work to be done? Oh, yes, I'm looking to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not as an escape route or a rescue mission. I want Jesus to come back, all y'all the same, but I want him to come back and he's talking to angels, where's AJ? We can't get the man to leave. He's just still trying to win people to Christ. Don't he know this is the rapture of the church? Yeah, he knows it, but he said he just needs to get one more to come with him. Let that be said of you and I. I want you, if you would, stand up and come to the altar as we begin to minister to the Lord. I want that to be your desire. I want that to be the burning passion in your heart and in your life. I have no care, no place in my heart or in this church for dead religion. What we desire is to have a people, an army of God that are so set ablaze with the power of God, with God's loving kindness and His mercy that we have but one desire. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to come on down here just as a means to break up the monotony of where you're sitting and just stir up your mind and stir up your spirit and stir up your mouth. Begin to worship the Lord. Begin to pray and begin to just consecrate yourself. There's many things that we can pray to the Lord. And one of the things we should pray continually is prayers of consecration, prayer of dedication. You know, when men and women, they go to the military, they take an oath of service. It should be no less than when we stand before the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and say, Lord, to you I give my entire allegiance. To you and to you alone I will serve you with every breath, with every fiber of my being, with every twitch of every muscle, with every word. I consecrate it to you, Lord God. Oh, God, that is our desire, Lord, to be completely and totally sanctified and set apart unto you, Lord. We have no taste in our heart for dead religion. We have no taste in our heart for just worthless vanity and religion. We have come and we thank you that even now we encounter you, Lord. We thank you even now for power to witness, Lord God, by the Holy Spirit. Church, won't you pray this prayer with me? If this is your desire to serve the Lord, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Father... Oh, a little bit louder. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the call of Christ in my life. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you cleanse me and you make me clean by the blood of Christ. Lord, I desire this one thing, to serve you, to serve you with all that I am. And my petition, my plea, my cry, Lord, is there anything I can do? for you? Is there more that I can do? Is there one more person that I can lead to Christ? Is there more one act of service that I can build your church with? What is it, Lord? What do you have need of? I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm waiting in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. That's our prayer, God. That's our prayer, Lord. Just a little bit farther with you, Lord. Just one more step with you, Lord God. Just one more step down this path, Lord, with you. Oh, we won't turn back, Lord. The cross before us, the world behind us, Lord, and we gladly march forward, Lord God, in Jesus' name. If you're here in the house today, you're here in this place right now, and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, you might say, you know what? AJ, the Word of God is stirring up my heart. The Spirit of the Lord is stirring up my heart. But I know that I need to make things right with the Lord. Maybe you've never prayed the prayer of salvation where you confess Jesus as Lord, believing in your heart He's the risen Son of God. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life and it is had, it is received by believing on Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Or... Maybe at some point in time you say, you know what, I had a...
I had a belief and a faith in God and a knowledge of God, but honestly, I'm not right with God. That's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're in a place where you know you need to make things right with God. Regardless of which it may be, today is the day to make that change. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, with every heart turned singularly toward the Lord Jesus Christ, examine even now your heart and your life because today, as the Bible says, is the appointed time and is the day of salvation. If you're here and you need to make things right with God, you want to be cleansed of sin. You want to be made right with the Lord. If you're here and you want to do that, would you raise your hand right now in the house? If you're here and you want to make that decision, if you're here and you need to make things right with the Lord, amen, amen, amen. Well, praise the Lord. I want you to pray this one last prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, may the fire of the altar of my heart never grow cold. May it burn hotter and hotter until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, when you call, I'll answer. When you command, I'll go. Who you love, I'll love with your love. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, won't you lift up a hand clap of praise. Give the Lord a amen. God bless you. I love you. Praise God. Thank you full for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com, so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross. And you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. You're now in the family of God. You're a child of God. Connect with us. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ. God bless you.